Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Well, good morning, Canada. Uh, today's date is April 19th, 2020. Um, this is Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC, sitting on the dock of the bay. <laughs> uh, Otis Redding would be proud. Well, welcome Canada to another full episode of Canadian Common Sense. We were able to get this in a uh, day early, so instead of the usual Monday evening broadcast, we're going to be broadcasting Sunday morning. And what a beautiful Sunday morning it is. It's finally above zero and melting the snow in Saskatoon so uh life is good well good for you but it's been snow free here for well over a month and uh it's gonna be 20 degrees it is bright sunshine the lake is calm and like a mirror and I couldn't help but come down here and do the show from uh from the lakeside here yeah, no, that's fantastic. You actually had sent me a picture of the of the dock, and that, uh, that that's a postcard quality shot right there. Yeah. Well, it's all in that Samsung camera. Oh, there you go. Yep. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, speaking of that, because I have the uh, a, a Samsung, and my wife has an iPhone, and if we ever go anywhere, she always says, "Don't oh, take pictures of your phone because it's it's better camera." So. Yeah, my my wife does the same thing, and she's got an iPhone. So okay, well, there we go. We'll use yours because it takes better photos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. All right, so we've got a few topics we want to cover today. We're going to touch a little bit on Justin Trudeau's announcement on Friday about his quote-unquote help for the oil and gas industry and want to go a little further down the road of talking about some of the police state tactics this government has done. And we're going to talk a little bit about censure. So um, why don't we start with the, the oil and gas business because that won't that'll be a quick one we can bat down so the Trudeau government on Friday Thursday or Friday I can't remember I mean the the days kind of blur by because everything is going so quickly um, he discussed an aid package for the oil and gas industry which talked about some money to help cap orphan wells and I uh, know I'm not talking about a, a literary figure here um, yeah. what I'm talking about is a uh, oil or gas wells that have been abandoned and are no longer in use or are no longer productive, so they've just been capped and left behind. And so the government has now given some money to, for the, well, I guess I'm not sure if it's going into a fund or where it's going, but some for some companies to take care of some of these wells to help reclaim the sites and whatnot. Yeah, but, but here, if, and if I'm not mistaken, there's already a fund to do that. Exactly, and that was where I was going to go with it because uh, a, a three-second Google search finds the Orphan Wells Association in uh, in Calgary, which is a society. If you read their page, it says flat out that they exist and they're funded by companies, government. It's a nonprofit, so they're you know whatever other donations they can get, and it says yeah, it's company funded to reclaim and re and you know, recap these these orphaned wells. So I just said to myself, well, I can see why the government of Alberta very quickly just said thank you and took the money because it's something they're already doing. So I'm just kind of wondering, did the Trudeau cabinet even consider doing their homework on this by any chance? Any chance? 
they they never seem to do any homework at all anyway um so this is this is not i mean it's 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 kind of well known like if you've ever lived in alberta you know this program already exists um and and i mean it's and when it comes to uh reclaiming uh drill sites or 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 uh uh, oil sands projects that's something that the that the that the uh companies are obligated to do as it is it's uh it's not like this is a volunteer program or something they're obligated well exactly and for people who aren't familiar with the oil patch and Full disclosure, I am one of the very few Albertans who did not spend a lot of time working in the oil patch, but a really close friend of mine was very intimately involved. And when they talk about a, a an orphaned well or a you know a well site that's not being used anymore, oftentimes the company will cap it and leave it for a couple of years, allowing more oil to seep into the, the cavity that they've drilled. And but when they talk about needing to reclaim the land and and uh, whatnot, and I'm not sure who these farmers are finding that are so concerned, because the whole site where this capped well would be would cover, God, what would you say, maybe one tenth of one acre, because it's just literally a little fenced off area with sometimes one little tank for whatever product. Very rarely yeah. is even a pump jack left over, and maybe a pipe sticking out of the ground. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very minimal, very very minimal, and like I and you're right. Like I would, I'd really be interested in knowing where they found these farmers that are, yeah. that are so concerned because, um, the like the oil companies and the farming community out in Alberta, they work very closely together, and they're very. Uh, it's it's a very good working relationship. I've never heard anyone complain um, that the oil companies are leaving a mess or or uh, not reclaiming the area after they leave. Like it, it's something that, that is, it's pretty commonly done. Well, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the only real damage to the land that is done initially is when they're first drilling the site, because of course they make a, a, ro- a right of way into the land. But what people of course, who are, you know, finding these farmers are not realizing is that the farmer actually gets a cut of the, the, the profits from that well so it's it's beneficial on both sides and like we say they don't really uh they they make as short of right away as possible to and from the drill site so there's very very little impact on the property and anybody who's driven through the prairies you can see the farmer has his crop all around that site and it's uh it's very yeah. very minimal impact yeah exactly so i mean and that and this this help that they've given the oil and gas industry is a bit of a joke it's not a help at all. In fact, they're helping the oil and gas industry less than they're helping small business, and they're not helping small business much at all. So, it's it, it's um, I I don't know. It's like I said on our last show. I think that Trudeau is going to use this opportunity to accelerate the closure of the oil and gas industry, and the this meager help package kind of backs me up. Yeah. Oh no. I. Uh, I actually. I, I'm afraid you're. You're right about that one. If he really wanted to help the oil and gas sector, he could have, for absolutely zero dollars, just said, "You know what? We're going to repeal 
Bill C-48, the West Coast Tanker Ban, and we're going to repeal Bill C-69, which Jason Kenney's called the No More Pipelines Bill, which is what it is. I mean, I, I can't even remember what the actual name of it is anymore, but it's got such ridiculous environmental standards on it that it really is the No More Pipelines Bill. Get rid of those and allow the oil patch to get to work. And those just those two strokes of a pen would be more help than any kind of aid package you could give. Or even, or even uh, start coming, yeah, do those things, but also come out in support of, I don't know, Energy East. I mean, it, it might not help the project get built, but it would sure change the tone in this country. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. I mean, just say to the province of Quebec, you know what, we're going to need to bring a pipeline across Quebec to get to the, the largest refinery in Canada in New Brunswick, and let's find a way to make that happen. And, yeah. you know, I mean, and, and we talked about this back at that time that, I mean, constitutionally, it is the federal government's real right, quote unquote, to say, this is going across whether you like it or not. So get ready. Yeah, but we also know that Quebec is the only province in this country that can call their own shots. Oh yeah. They're special. No question. Yeah. So, I mean, like they, their decision kind of supersedes the, the federal government and mostly because a good chunk of the liberal MPs are from Quebec, including the prime minister. So, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I want to take one sidebar here before we move on to our next topic. Um, sure. There was a Pierre Polyev video out yesterday, and or maybe or maybe it was even the day before. Again, these days get so blended in when you're bored. <laughs> yeah. But he had uh, stated that construction workers were were working on whether it was Twenty Four Sussex or whether it was Harrington Lake Cottage. But anyway, that Mr. Trudeau didn't value the lives of those those workers that those construction workers as much as his own, and. I had to comment because, well, because I'm a smart aleck, I, and just said, well, wait a minute. Did these uh, construction workers pass the, the gender as, in, impact uh, assessment? Or, you know, are we well, talking about a bunch of pervs who are going to affect the community? Because, I mean, yeah. that concerns me even more. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. It's, it's, uh, it is kind of interesting how they, they want construction sites closed down everywhere. But, hey, it's okay if they continue working on the prime minister's places. Yeah, it's um, yeah. There's so much hypocrisy going on. I mean, especially with how Justin Trudeau is telling everybody, "Don't go to your cabins, like your lake cabins. Don't go across provincial borders. Stay at home for Easter weekend, right?" And yep. then, and then he crossed provincial borders. He went to his cottage. Uh, you know, he did all the things that he was telling people not to do. And so, I mean, there's just so much hypocrisy. Well, and look at his response when the media actually called him out on it. And he just kind of flippantly, oh, I just wanted to go see my family. It's like, well, hey, you know what, jerk? Um, you told the rest of us we can't go see our family. And, and yeah, apparently I, I didn't actually follow this up, but I saw – Somebody posted that actually he broke the law by crossing the border into Quebec. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because apparently the uh, the border is like right closed, so it was actually illegal for him to cross over into Quebec to go to the the, the cottage. And uh, full disclosure, it's like twelve kilometers or twelve miles away, so it's not very far from from Ottawa. But yeah, he uh, he's now a criminal yet again. 
Yeah, I was going to say, he's got a penchant for breaking rules and laws. Um, hmm, interesting. Yeah. So, um, But anyway, he's we knowing that he's above the law, I think, is where we're going to go next on this one here. Because uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the, the, well, the response to the coronavirus and uh, one of the latest from Mr. Trudeau. Yeah, I mean, they want he they're proposing to censor uh, Canada discussing coronavirus. Um, They want to make it illegal to pass on or discuss false information. And I. I am I. I, hmm. Okay, I, I was about to say I kind of understand the sentiment, but I don't understand the sentiment. I mean, because here, here's the first problem. A month ago, would it have been a crime to say we should all be wearing masks? Well, hey, I guess if the government didn't say so, then it would because that would be spreading false information. Except now they're saying we should all be wearing masks. Um Six weeks ago or two months ago, no, six weeks ago, six weeks ago, would it have been a crime to say you should not be standing closer than six feet to somebody? Don't even touch them. Don't do the elbow bump that they were telling us to do. Would that have been a crime at the time? I, again, that, yeah, because that's false information and of course false information being defined as anything that the government hasn't told you and if, because two, you know, because less than two weeks later they were saying don't touch anybody don't do the, don't do that elbow bump that they were t- previously telling us to do yeah i mean would it have been a crime oh i don't know two well two two and a half months ago to say oh this coronavirus doesn't get transmitted person to person would that have been a crime for me to post on on Facebook? No, it wouldn't have been because that's what the government and the WHO were saying at that time. Yeah, and actually, good that you point that out because it was March twelfth, I believe, when um, we got an email sent out through our soccer associations here saying that, well, for right now your games are on, but you know, avoid shaking hands and go ahead and play. But yeah, they were saying maybe do the elbow bump or just cheer extra loud and don't shake hands at the end of the game. And suddenly March 13th, okay, everything's suddenly suspended. So March 12th, we can send an email saying, you know, do an elbow bump or just cheer, but keep playing contact sports. But then suddenly the very next day, if you were to say that, you'd be breaking the law. Yeah. Like this is where, this is the trouble with censorship laws. I mean, besides the, the obvious of censoring people is wrong in the first place. It is. But, but this is the problem is who decides what's true because the government has been wrong every step of the way. The WHO has been lying every step of the way. So how are we supposed to, censor uh false information when the very purveyors of false information are the ones who are wanting to do the censoring this is this is uh uh orwellian and uh if we have 
listeners who are too young to know what Orwellian means, go read 1984 by George Orwell, because I know they don't mandate it in high school anymore. Um, they don't? Oh, my God. No, they do not. Um, that should and, be a thought crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's the fact that they don't anymore kind of says a lot, I think. But um, it's it's uh, this is the kind of stuff they do in communist China. And uh, they did this in communist USSR. Uh, they, they, in fact, they still do it in Russia, even though it's not communist anymore. Um, they do it in North Korea. Uh, they do it in like Venezuela. They do it in these places where they are run by dictators and communist dictators. It's this is this is wrong to the nth degree, and. Uh, when you have, when the people who want to do the censoring are the ones who have been f- spreading the false information all along, is that 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 just spells that's just a recipe for disaster. Well, it is, and I hate to blow our own horn, but I'm going to do it yet one more time. Would have been, I want to say, a little more than a year ago when the Trudeau government announced they were going to uh, assemble a quote-unquote fake news panel to check yeah. out like Facebook posts and whatnot. There was this small podcast based in Western Canada that was saying, hey, guys, you're going down the wrong road here. And now they've gone beyond just the fake news end of it and going right right for our jugulars. And what podcast was that? Well, that, in fact, that was Canadian Common Sense. Oh, no way. How about yeah. that? Yeah. God, we're right all the time. This is. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, we're not right all the time, but we're certainly ahead of the curve on a lot of issues. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, we're right more often than we're wrong. Let's put it that way. Oh, absolutely. We are. Yeah. And, and in many cases, and I say this all the time, sincerely, I don't like being right when I predict so many of these things. Well, yeah, because especially when there's a lot of calamity that we we, we see coming and we predict or tell people about and yeah, when that calamity proves correct, it's, it's the last thing we actually want, but it's, but yeah. I mean, we have, we have to warn people if we feel that we can, right? Yeah, exactly. So now I, I just wanted to talk quickly about uh, an article that I saw online this morning. Um, and that was a online article quoting the mayor and the fire chief of Summerland, BC, where the mayor, Tony Boot, uh, was saying that she is observing people being very lax about the uh, social distancing and, and stay-at-home orders and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, the fire chief is saying, you know, we've attended... Uh, car accidents at 11 p.m. at night and wondering why these people are even out. Why aren't they at home? And those, that comments, me. That, those comments really bother me. They really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, well, especially when you talk about the 11 o'clock at night thing. That Yeah, that just kind of gets my hackles up because, well, 
hey, none of your business what I was doing out at 11 o'clock at night. What if I work till 1030 or whatever? I mean, it's uh, people are still working and it's not like we're under uh, curfew. So we're not under curfew. We're not under curfew. We're not under house arrest. We there is no stay at home order. There is, you know, they're asking people to stay home. And but if you do go out to maintain social distancing, well, I'm going to, you know, break protocol here on my part because I've always, you know, kind of kept it uh, a mum about where I live and, and stuff like that. But I live in Summerland. I'm not observing what they're saying that they're observing. Um, I see people out and about. In fact, right now I see people out here on the docks as well, but they're all maintaining you know, much greater distances than the six feet. Like they're, they're maintaining, you know, 20, 30 feet from each other. Um, and I don't know, I don't like these, I don't know if these people, I, I know if for a fact, the mayor doesn't have any uh, small children. Um, but you have no idea what these kids are going through. They need to get out. Um well- and it, and uh, and so do the so do the adults. I mean, it's not fun being stuck in your house all day long. It's, in fact, it, it's you know it's very depressing. And to get out and go for a walk is not a crime, and to go out for a drive is not a crime. There's nothing that says that there's anything. Nobody has said we are not allowed to go out for a drive. In fact, our uh, provincial. Uh, chief medical officer has told us go out for walks get outside you know but maintain social distancing they're encouraging us to go out for walks so I don't know where the mayor and the fire chief get off telling us that we shouldn't even be out of our homes yeah well you know actually my uh, my MLA had posted a a post last night on her Facebook saying that the, the our provincial health officer says, yeah, I mean, a list, it was almost a list of do's and don'ts. But one of them was encouraged, go out for a drive and, you know, go for walks with your family, but maintain social distance. And it was saying essentially what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, go out and get some fresh air and go enjoy a drive. But, you know, this is, but, you know, you know, the don'ts don't, you know, go out without a mask and whatnot. So it was, it's yeah. really funny to see, you know, almost contradictory messages from the provincial government to a local government. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, and the crazy part is, is that we don't have a single confirmed case of COVID-19 in our entire region. Oh, so good. like our hospital, the, the hospital in Penticton doesn't have a single case of COVID-19 in that hospital. And there's talk that they're going to return to normal operations and start performing uh, elective surgeries again and all of that because we don't have any cases here. Oh, good. But they're talking about this like it's some high crime that people are out walking or driving. It's like, I'm sorry, but 7-Eleven is still open. So, you know, they're open 24 hours a day. Right. So if you if you want to go out and get a jug of milk at eleven o'clock at night or something or candy or chips or pop, you're going to Seven Eleven, and you're going to be out at eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, exactly. 
So there was actually one more thing on this very topic that was has been suggested for I've been hearing about it for at least a week now. It might even be longer, but the Trudeau government and the RCMP were talking about possibly tracking people's cell phones in order to in, enforce the the self isolation. And of course, the civil libertarian in me, uh, my head just started to spin. I was like, "Are you kidding me? You're going to track my cell phone to uh, to make sure that I'm I'm staying home?" Like uh, again, yeah. what the hell? And Google and Apple are working together to develop uh, coronavirus tracking software. You know what? I uh, I got to admit, I don't even know what that would look like. Well, but... they're talking about tracking like people who have been confirmed. They would track their cell phone movements to make sure that they are staying home. Or oh, and, crying yeah, out like, loud! I know, I know. Like these people should stay home until their symptoms have passed and they've tested negative that I totally agree with. And, but to go to that extent is, is very dangerous. I mean, you don't, any Liberty or right that you give up, you rarely, if ever get back. Well, that, and that's just the thing. And that's actually where I'm going to go on the next topic after we beat this one a bit more, but, I just thought that, yeah, exactly, because, of course, you know that I am definitely a, a civil liberty kind of guy. And As am I, I thought, yeah. And that's why I thought, so now if you are infected and you do need to go get gas in your car or whatever, so you expect you need to leave your cell phone at home now so the government can't track you? Like, give me a break. Well, here's what I'm very concerned about now. But, I mean, on top of that, Tony, if if someone is infected and they're going out to get gas in their car then they're not staying home like they should be because they shouldn't need gas in their car um, oh, you're right the poor example yeah yeah <laughs> but um but the, the problem is is that once you start allowing the government to track people you're opening the door for them to track everybody and, exactly. and it's and that's something that you never get back look at the u.s they passed uh the Patriot Act after 2000, oh. after 9-11 in 2001. Yeah. And that was supposed to be temporary to deal with finding the perpetrators of 9-11 and dealing with them, right? Yeah. Um, and most of the measures in the Patriot Act are still in place today. All well, yeah, I mean... To, all they have to do, all the authorities have to do is say that you are suspected of terrorism and they are allowed to arrest you. They are allowed to detain you for years. And they are allowed to uh, go through your emails, your home, everything without a warrant. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And the way their FISA court was set up as a result of that, that's what's caused this whole spine on Don Donald Trump and his campaign that's been dr dragging through the media for, for three years now, four years almost. It has been yeah. four years. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And the problem I have with that, I mean, well, there's a problem I have with that because I have tons of problems with, with tracking people, is yeah. if you or I decide we wanted to run for, for office, for example, you know, against the Liberal Party of Canada, oh, well, you know, uh, Lewis said such and such a few years ago, we better just see what he's up to. And yeah. then suddenly they start tracking your movements without you knowing about it. I mean, what yeah. the hell? What, what's to stop them?
Yep, exactly. And it's now, and these like they become almost dictatorial powers, right? And uh, and that that kind of brings me to another um, government that has instituted dictatorial powers, and I'm quite shocked at who this government is, and I'm sure you are too, Tony. And that would be uh, Jason Kenney uh, in Alberta. Yeah, and I think you're referring to his Bill 10 when uh, their amendment to the Public Health Emergencies Act. Yes, I am. Good Lord, I, uh, I, yeah, I was beside myself when uh, when you had shared that with me, and yeah, I mean, go ahead, unload because I, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, because now this is what this does. This uh, bill is that whenever if there is an, a state of emergency declared in the in the province of Alberta, any government minister any government minister without consultation or approval from the legislature can uh, give a ministerial order that will change laws or create new laws without like i said without consultation or a legislation legislate approval uh, in the province of Alberta. They can just willy-nilly change laws as they see fit. And the only criteria from what I could see was that it would be for the greater good of Albertans. And that is a scary term, by the way, for the greater good. And um, and it's and and it would last for i believe it was a maximum of 60 days but they could as long as the state of emergency is still in effect they could uh re like just renew that order at the end of the 60 days yeah that's absolutely correct and what i also found disturbing was not only do they have that 60 day extension or 60 days plus an extension they also can make that that new bill retroactive to when the public health emergency was declared so in this case public health emergency was declared in march and the minister of whatever decides today that this is a law i'm going to make oh and now by the way it's retroactive to you know five weeks ago um excuse me no this this actually ties right into your uh discussion earlier about the false reporting or you know making it illegal to make false statements because yeah. what was false, you know, today was not false five weeks ago. But under this kind of ruling, oh, it is now. Yeah, like I, I am, I'm absolutely appalled at Jason Kenney and his government for this. Like it's, it's shocking. And I, and to be quite honest, Tony, I am, I'm absolutely speechless. Well, okay, let me rephrase that because I'm always never speechless. Um, <laughs> I am absolutely flabbergasted that the national media has not jumped on this. That surprises me too, because I mean the the mainstream, then you know the the Ottawa gallery never misses a chance to, to jump on Alberta. But I think they've seen something they like here, so they're they're keeping mum about it. Well, I think I think what they're actually looking at it and going, oh, we never said anything about Trudeau, so. Uh, attempting his power grabs. So maybe we should just be careful and not say anything about Jason Kenney. Um, 
I think it's more them looking after their own backs than it is anything else. Well, could be. I mean, but I mean, the media has never really been shy about being hypocrites when it comes to defending the the Trudeau government when they backpedal. So, True but you, but yeah, I mean, they certainly could be just not wanting to look like fools. Yeah, but well, <laughs> now that you put it that way, well, <laughs> our me- our media has never backed away from looking like fools. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it is that they just see something they like. Right. <laughs> All right. So um, I want to take one last topic here I want to bite on today. Sure. And that is an, a rant I'd done earlier this week and talking about some of our moves toward toward a police state. And I really don't – and I, I may have spoke a bit harshly talking about a police state, although our discussion today makes me realize that – no, maybe I wasn't. Um, you, you and I have discussed a few different times that we're in a situation now that this country is – is, is getting ripe for socialism. In fact, you started saying that a month and a half ago, probably. And we're starting to see policies in place now that are, are leading us that way. And then I start looking back thinking, I've seen example after example, even since 2015, when this government was first elected, that have been taking us down this road. And I just thought I wanted to bring some of these up for, for you, Canada, to kind of just say, look at where we're heading and we've really got to give our heads a shake about this. So what am I talking about? I'm just going to uh, expand on the list that I had made uh, on that, that rant on Thursday. And I mean, the Agacon vacation was one of them where Mr. Trudeau said, conflict of interest? Well, I don't care. I'm taking myself and a couple of cabinet ministers and all their families to this private island and 50 was it a $56,000 security bill the RCMP had to pay? Yeah. And so, and speaking of RCMP, well, they've just certainly become uh, Mr. Trudeau's lapdog. And I'd mentioned in my rant that the commissioner of the RCMP, who is, always has been appointed directly by the prime minister, so that part is not just a Justin Trudeau thing. Yeah. However, the fact that this particular commissioner is, is it second or third cousin to Bill Morneau? But she's related. That. Yeah, she's a cousin anyway, yeah. Yeah, and so the RCMP has, I'm not sure if it's a a power they just decided to grab or something they've always had, but the RCMP now, willy-nilly, can reclassify firearms. And there was a case a couple of years ago where there was a, a Swiss rifle, and I'm not sure if it was a fully automatic or semi-automatic, but the police, this, the RCMP just suddenly decided that this Swiss arms rifle is now a prohibited weapon in Canada. So any people who had one on a restricted license suddenly are breaking the law because, oh, yeah, by the way, now it's prohibited. Yeah, it would have have been a semi-auto because fully auto are uh, banned weapons in Canada. That's true, yeah. Yeah. So it had to have been, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, so anybody who had this Swiss arms rifle overnight became a criminal. And then, of course, the RCMP ended up after a month or so backtracking and just grandfathering in, well, whoever's got one already, they know, oh, you guys are okay. But from now on, they're now prohibited. And it's like, well, why would it be a prohibited weapon? And further down that road, there was a law, and it was challenged actually in your neck of the woods, uh, in British Columbia, a lady, I think she was in Nanaimo, who had challenged this law, where the RCMP could come knock on your door up to two hours after you've got home, if someone had called in suspecting you were driving impaired. Yeah. And 
they could actually come into your house and charge you with impaired driving up to two hours after you'd gotten home from wherever, when I guess probably whenever they got the call from some yeah. do-gooder that said that they, they saw you swerving or whatever. Yeah. And that one I actually want to talk and expand on a bit more because I'm sure that you and I probably hammered this one when the time came, but that one really bugs me because, I mean, you want to talk about police state. Yeah. If I'm, if I happen to be mad at you and I see you leave the grocery store and call the cops right away. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that Lewis took off without his seatbelt on and he spun his tires out of the parking lot. He's got to be drunk. Whether, whether or not that's true, it doesn't have to be true. The police can still go to your house and say, Hey, well, you've been drinking. Well, as a matter of fact, I did have a beer when I got home. Oh, well, you better blow in this breathalyzer. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And that's yeah, absolutely though, legal. Yeah. I mean, this is, there's so much of this going on right now. Like, uh, I mean, we've seen it out here in BC where people have been charged with uh, driving with their cell phones um, in a cup holder. Um, they've been charged with distracted driving because their cell phone was in a cup holder. What the hell? Well, where are you supposed to put it? Yeah, I mean, and, it's uh... and the and the and the police officers have have readily admitted that. The, that they never witnessed the phone in the person's hand and that like the, one of them was they got pulled over for speeding and the police officer came up to the window and saw the cell phone in the cup holder and gave them the whatever $1,200 fine or whatever it is for distracted driving. Um, See that? I, that's and ridiculous. I have, <laughs> I have big problems with that because my, my truck has a slot on the center console to put the cell phone so that I can charge it. But according to the police, that would be illegal. And, uh, and the other thing, the other thing is, is that like I have Android auto in my truck. So when I plug in my phone, I get all of my, uh, Android controls on the touch screen in the truck. Right. Oh, okay. So I can control my uh, podcasts or music, uh, my maps, my uh, I can uh, do voice texting, all of that kind of stuff. My phone calls, everything from the touch screen on my truck, perfectly legal. But where I plug it in is on the center console, and I put my phone on in that slot that is there for my phone. And right. I could be charged with $1,200 for having that there. However, if I had my phone on a window mount, it's perfectly fine. See, and that's the funny thing. I mean, the legislation here, and I'm sure that's the same in British Columbia, is worded in such a way that it's, you know, manipulating or handling a mobile device, you know, yeah. in one hand, at least one hand. And... Yeah. So that's ridiculous. And it's funny you say that because I actually have a dash mount for my phone, which is right near the steering wheel so yeah. that I can at least see the display if, if I want to. And yeah. yeah, I've had police drive by and look at it, and but you know they've never given me any hard time about it because no, I don't touch it. That's, it's because, just, that's because the window or dash mounts are completely legal. As long as the phone is securely mounted, it is legal, which okay. absolutely blows my mind. Um, because 
I'm not even touching the phone if it's on my center console. I'm using my touch exactly. Screen. And the touch screen, let's be honest here. The touch screens in most vehicles are so complicated that you have to take your eyes off the road just to operate the touch screen. And uh, because the the because every time you touch a button, the com- the, the the entire screen changes and the controls all move to a different part of the screen. It's yeah, it's a it's it's a ridiculous thing that that's legal. But, uh, but having your cell phone is not when that is far more com- complicated than my cell phone. Well, and, would not, be an if- and don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not advocating that cell phone use in your car should be legal because I absolutely don't think it should be. Uh, I, I absolutely think it should be illegal, but sometimes the laws are just so, uh, um, inconsistent that it just it just blows my mind. Well, let me uh, point out a real, a real inconsistency that you're going to love. This is uh, still with our beloved RCMP. Now, remember when the, the all the railway blockades were on over the well, it started out as a wet sweat and protest, but then it was, of course, the Mohawk blockades. And that very same RCMP, that very same commissioner, who's a relative of Finance Minister Bill Morneau. Uh, when they were asked, are you going to take these blockades down? She said, and I can actually quote, enforcement is our last option. Yeah. But but when it comes to cell phones, well, we'll, we'll make enforcement uh, an option, even though it's not actually applying the law. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. Um, there's so many things that point towards police, a police state that it, it's scary. And, and actually the, the, the one that, I wanted to bring up has nothing to do with the police at all or even the government. Uh, During the, this, this COVID-19 outbreak, we have seen neighbors turn on neighbors. We have seen people become uh, rats by, you know, and I, and I mean that in the term of, they're ratting on their neighbors. They're ratting on other uh, citizens the way they do in the way they did when in East Germany or North Korea or China, where they are obligated to uh, to to report everything that their uh, family, that their neighbors, the other people that they see, they're so they're obligated to report everything to the authorities, and people are doing that voluntarily right now. Well, they are, and that actually happened right here in my own my own city. The police actually had had posted on their Twitter that they had been receiving a lot of calls, you know, about people who were not ob- observing the self isolation. This was actually. A few weeks ago, they yeah. made that post, and they said they were just compiling the information so they could pass it on to the to the health authorities. And yeah, right away I thought, "Are you kidding me?" Like, if I wanted to do that, yeah, I could have ratted out a few of my neighbors on Easter weekend. But it's like, give me a break, people! Like, you know what? Um, I mean, I guess I use the words personal responsibility a lot, and that doesn't mean that everybody is going to take responsibility for their own actions. But we should, and we need to, and what we don't need to do is is 
yeah, start ratting out your neighbors and your family. Like, yeah, exactly. Are we, are we in Cuba? Are we in communist China? Are we in Nazi Germany? Like, yeah. what the hell, Canada? Yeah. This country was actually built on some, on, on some semblance of freedom. Yeah, and we're voluntarily becoming those, those countries. Uh, like, our, our, our own citizens are quite happy to publicly shame people on Facebook. They're quite happy to report you to the police. They're quite happy to, to do all of these things when, uh, you know, and, and, and I mean, all, all that, all that does is it gives governments who have this like desire for more and more power to like, like our Trudeau government in Ottawa, all it does is give them more, uh, does it, like it just heightens their desire to get more power uh, well it it does and uh i guess we're getting to our time so we'll probably wrap it up on this subject but what bothers me the most about this even more so than the fact that people are doing it is what seems to be a fact is a lot of canadians don't seem to have a problem with it and no, that's what hurts me no it's quite scary actually it's it, like i, I mean i've ne- nobody's ever reported me because i i am following the, the rules but uh, but it's quite scary how how quickly people turned on each other. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And it's like so much for this whole Canadians being polite, courteous, and you know, working together thing. It's like, wow, like when did this become okay? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it, it is it is quite worrisome. No, it really is, yeah. Um so, well, sorry to leave you on a negative note, Canada, but that's uh, that's that's certainly something to, to for all of us to chew on and wonder: Are we prepared to give up that much of our freedom? And and Canada, are you okay with with giving that up? Is I guess the biggest question. So, um, chew on that, and thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful Sunday in Canada. And till the next time, I'm Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. And I just wanted to say one thing before we signed off. And, and that is, if you haven't had a chance to listen to my rant earlier this week about the uh, entitled WHO has to go, I, uh, I implore you to, to have a listen. And not just that, uh, Lewis also made a really good rant about talk, talk moistly to me was the title of it. And that, if nothing else, will give you some comic relief. So, I encourage you to listen in on that one as well. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, Canada. We will talk to you the next time. Have a great weekend.